as annoying as it is to have to hear from people who are always wanting to go for the uh, high risk, high reward pick, it's even worse when other fan bases do that and are like, oh, yes, I can't believe we got this guy at 17. Next, Eric Carlson drafted. I'm like, you don't know that at all. <laughs> like, you saw one gif of this guy, like, dangling 15-year-old Swedes and you were like, yes, this is God's gift to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Get out of here. <laughs> Everything, I hate everything about the draft now. It's, uh, t- it's taken me three years to sour on the whole endeavor. Yeah. You dotted in red. Remember Todd White. Where did Eric Carlson eat last night? It doesn't matter if you ask. It's the Chet and Luke Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode Derek Smith, I guess, of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the man who will not waive his no trade clause, so he's on your protected list whether you want him there or not. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. I'm doing Love great. Love the show. I'm so glad to hear that. Chet Sellers, how's the offseason been treating you so far? <laughs> you know, I was pretty bummed out after watching the Senators lose in double overtime in Game 7 to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sorry for bringing it up again. Uh, second best team in the league, unless you, I guess, maybe want to argue the Washington Capitals are, because they also won seven games, but they didn't go to double overtime. So I'm willing to say the Senators are better than last year's President's Trophy winners. Get at me. Anyway, what have I been doing? I watched them win the Stanley Cup, which didn't make me feel any better. Uh, and then I remembered that I owned a lot of property and boats in the south of France, so I've just been doing that. <laughs> uh, living well really is the best revenge, isn't it? <laughs> uh, don't let anyone know that when I say that, I actually mean I've just been eating beans. <laughs> uh, see, you are a stronger man than I on account of you actually watching Stanley Cup Finals games, because I did not watch any, and I do not regret that choice at all. For the first two games, when Pecorine turned into, I don't know, like a wet paper bag filled with leaves in net, I was just beside myself. I was like, I knew this was going to be a layup. I knew it. I knew Pecorino was bad. I knew Nashville was going to be just the easiest opponent you would see in the finals for years. I like. I can't believe we blew this shot. And then you know, Nashville did come back and tie the series. And I calmed down a bit. I was. I was a little more. I was a little more centered. And then they immediately lost the last two games. I was like, oh, yep, I knew it. Sens could have won. This was our year. Like, regardless of the fact that. You know, multiple major players on this Ottawa Senators required surgery <laughs> like the following <laughs> weeks. So I was like, no, Eric Carlson and Derek Broussard definitely could have got it done. Yeah. And then and then uh, Pierre Dorian is saying, oh, and also uh, Mark Borbietsky had about seven or eight things wrong with him. Like, yeah, we know. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was rooting for Nashville, but, uh, it was a tough watch, uh, also because watching the black and yellow penguins play the yellow and dark blue predators on the same ice was basically just like two kinds of mustard in a blender. Like it didn't please my eye, put it that way. I would refer to it as aesthetically suboptimal. Yes, I agree. They needed some red and black in there. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk for two hours about these new Adidas jerseys. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I did like the tease that the Ottawa Senator's official account put out on Twitter with the hashtag form the future. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very close up shot of the logo, which was the same as the old logo. <laughs> and, you know, you could just tell that this jersey was not going to be a very far step removed from the current jersey. The future is slightly more black in the armpit area. And some Minnesota wild-ass-looking font on the back of the jersey, and that's about it. Yeah. Man, I went into the wrong field. Can you imagine being, like, a marketing professional of any sort or, like, a graphics person where you're like, yeah, yes, I moved this black stripe slightly, and I've also expanded this white stripe along the bottom of the jersey from 0.5 inches to 0.75 inches. That'll be $500,000, please. <laughs> I, well, I feel like what probably happened was Adidas, we're already into like hot jersey talk here. Adidas probably called the team up and said, all right, you know, we're taking this seriously. We know this is going to be a big deal for you and your fans. Uh, obviously, we'll want to work with your marketing and design professional uh, for, you know, the better part of the next six months on and off. So uh, just let us know where they can be reached. And the senators were like, who? (laughs) And so they ended up sending an intern who wasn't allowed to make any decisions and didn't want to get into any trouble. And, you know, that person just kind of said, I I really don't think we should change anything. I don't want to I don't want to make them mad at me uh, when we, you know, put rainbow swooshes on it. So that's probably why we still have the jersey that we have. And Every that intern thir- doesn't have Twitter, or they would know that everybody <laughs> thinks they should go to the Black O jersey. So it's an say- intern that doesn't even have Twitter. It's a, it's a 75-year-old intern. It's Robert De Niro from the movie The Intern, except he makes all the wrong decisions. And that's the marketing and design professional that the senators hired to work with Adidas in this case. Things are so rough in the senator's organization right now that Eugene Melnick is his own intern. He's pulling double duty. It's, it's like every third mention in yeah. like the senator's official Twitter account is go with the O jersey. And, you know, people sit down in these meetings. They go, what do the fans want? I just don't understand. <laughs> Eugene Melnick has to make his own coffee and then spit it out and say, you call this coffee. Yeah, <laughs> that's how bad it is. Things are getting lean in the Ottawa senator's front office these days. Allegedly. 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 Congratulations well, to the Pittsburgh Penguins, by the way. Can yeah, we move nah, on from I'm that? Not, no. I, I think they can get stuffed. How about that? <laughs> Congratulations on winning your third cup in seven years and being complete babies about it the entire time. Hey, why aren't we more beloved? Yeah. Obviously, why is everyone just... talking about Nashville? <laughs> uh, we have fans, too. We We've sold out 400 games in a row. Yinzers. <laughs> Oh, it would have been so... Oh, I just wanted to beat them once. That was the time. That was the time I needed it, like, spiritually. Yeah, it would have been good. Like, I don't I don't ask for much, just unlimited Stanley Cups. Well, don't yeah. worry. All you need to do is wait a few months, and then we can spend a bunch of money uh, out of our own wallets and do this all again. Uh, hockey really is just a flat circle, isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of spending money out of your wallets, have you seen those uh, outdoor game ticket prices? I have seen those outdoor game ticket prices. They are uh, steeper than the actual stadium is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about going with the Firstborn Sun package personally, but, you know, I was also thinking about going down to the arm and a leg package, and I'm still not sure which one I'm going to go for. <laughs> it's expensive, but don't forget, the sight lines will also be terrible, and you'll be 
freezing the entire time. So when you look at it in that in that context, it's a it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's all of the joy of football outside in December with none of the visual spectacularness of an actual hockey game. <laughs> That's right. And what you're actually looking at for most of the time is the large flat area surrounding the rink, which is mostly being staffed by TV people and just random hangers on and like Hertz trucks full of equipment, you know, instead of actually seeing the ice that's at the center of what is a very, very large football field. So it should be good. I think a lot of people are just buying a ticket to be able to say, yeah, I went to that. So yeah, outdoor game can't wait. (laughs) Looking forward to it. (laughs) So moving along, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this. But uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights have been in the news again. Oh, God. (laughs) I was I mean, I said this to you earlier this week, but it's like we have spent months working up to this expansion draft and playing through all the scenarios and trying to figure out who to trade in advance and what to do and who might be lost and who should be protected and all the strategy around it. And at the end of the day, all of this mental and physical and spiritual and financial energy is so that there can be a team in Las Vegas. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's really what we're talking about. A bunch of people moving out to the desert to try to prove a point. Yeah, and for the last season, people have been doing these, you know, mock drafts, the mock expansion list, and, you know, people have been like, who are the Sens going to protect? And the overwhelming consensus throughout this for the last, you know, year has been Mark Mathot's probably going to be exposed and then selected. And throughout the season, we've been trying to talk ourselves into some other possibilities. You know, Bobby Ryan is looking good now that he had a very good playoffs. Um, you know, is Ryan Zingle going to be exposed? Maybe they'll take him. What about Cody Cece? Yeah, what and if they go 4-4-1? Four, four, you know, what if they, you know, decide to expose Broussard and Peugeot and Smith and all these guys because they need to protect their top 4D? Like, all mm-hmm. of that has been part of the discussion, too. And after all that, it was just, no, it's the most obvious thing that's going to yeah. be like the thing you all thought was going to happen after putting no thought into it whatsoever. <laughs> that's what happened. So let's say you're the GM. You're Pierre Dorian. First of all, you look fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Looking for some compliments on this blazer I'm rocking. <laughs> Secondly, sorry about the uh, losing the GM of the year award because you traded a bunch of third and fifth round picks for some decent guys. Let's play a game that I call Protect Mary Expose with Mark Mathot, Cody Cece, and Dion Phaneuf. What do you do? I think I protect Mark Mathot because, you know, you can't really put a price on a top two D-man. Well, I mean, you can and. million a year is that price. Um, I'm going to marry Dion Phaneuf because, you know, I think I can do as good as Alicia Cuthbert. And then I'm going to expose Cody Cece because maybe he'll be off my team next year. Who says no? Who says no? I was I was hoping you were going to try to expose Dion Phaneuf, at which point I could show up with papers indicating that you're already married to Dion Phaneuf for the next seven or eight years, and you are now guilty of bigamy or polygamy or <laughs> one of them. So that's too bad. I mean, in a vacuum, that's probably true. Everybody had sort of said, well, Phaneuf won't wave, um, and you, know, you can say what you want about that, and he is going to get a Sergei Gonchar 
Bradshaw level of booing at the home opener as a result of that decision. But CC, we kind of figured had the most trade value. And we all wishfully hoped that he would be traded at some point to some dumb GM that doesn't read Twitter. Uh, or look at charts or know anything about analytics because we all assume that even though we're really smart online that everyone in the hockey world is really really dumb and of course Cody CC has Matt Duchesne level trade value so we all figured protect CC and since we can't you know do anything with Phaneuf and have to protect him and you know I guess we'll protect that Eric Carlson guy that does kind of leave Mathot as the odd man out as kind of everybody predicted um, and I was okay with that just because I was still sort of thinking, well, even if Mathot goes, they protected CC and they can get a good return for CC rather than lose CC for nothing. Whereas if they tried to trade Mathot before the draft and let's say Pierre Dorian could only get like a third rounder for him. Uh, without knowing for sure that he'd be taken because, you know, people were saying, well, maybe they really like Freddie Clayson, you know. If they had traded Mathot for a third rounder before the draft without knowing what we know now, Pierre Dorian would have been killed for that, right? Like, he would have been absolutely killed. So he rolled the dice and he kind of figured that Vegas might have been bluffing and they were going to take Freddie Clayson and they weren't. And everybody says they're going to trade Mark Mathot to Dallas or, you know, some other place with no sales tax. Uh, so I guess we'll see. It hasn't happened as a Saturday afternoon, but it sucks. It's a huge bummer, right? As you know, because Mark Mathot, the guy, I think everybody loves. Yeah, you. I think everyone's very capable of kind of separating their feelings about Mark Mathot, the player, and Mark Mathot, the human being on this, because, you know, we've seen Eric Carlson play with a lot of defensemen, and Eric Carlson makes everyone look good. So in terms of what this means for the Ottawa Senators of the hockey team, maybe not the worst outcome for them. But yeah, Mark Mathot, the guy, was fantastic to have around on the Twitters and in the community and hanging out at the bar at Crazy Horse on a Thursday. <laughs> Good um, local dude, liked Harambe, you know? I mean, there's nothing mm -hmm. uh, nothing bad about that. And I mean, the truth is, you know, what money is saved by, even if Mark Mathot is replaceable and Freddie Clayson makes an equal or better defensive partner for Eric Carlson next year, um, which I'm a little bit skeptical of, and I like Clayson a lot. Um, and certainly he's got more offense than Mathot does. Um, I don't know if he's any faster. But Mathot kind of always knew where to be, you know? Like, he had good positioning. He would always get back and cover. And he kind of let Carlson do his thing. And if they're going to put Clayson in that role, I hope that he can kind of figure out the system and do the same just as well. My suspicion is they'll go out and get a UFA. And that will be your next Philip Kuba slash Mark Mathot partner for Eric Carlson. But anyway, all the money that they save from him going is just going to go to like JG Peugeot and Ryan Dezingle and eventually like water returning to the ocean. Every dollar that we have in terms of salary will be funneled into Eric Carlson's bank account as soon as possible. So I don't know that it necessarily makes the team any better that we have lost a great guy in Mark Mathot. Yeah, Chris Weidman earlier this year had a great quote on Mark Mathot, which was that when he's on the ice, nothing bad happens. And when I heard that, I kind of said to myself, yo, he's right. Like, Mark Mathot is kind of a dying breed at this point, in the sense that he is a truly defensive defenseman. You put that guy out, and he is not going to give you anything in terms of scoring. At the same time, he's also not going to give up anything in his own zone. And maybe... 
Ottawa is going to be better in the long term having someone with a little more uh, offensive capability on the back end. But I'm going to miss what Mark Mathot meant for my spirit and my soul. Because when I saw him on the ice, I trusted him. And I think it's going to take a long time for his replacement to uh, build up that level of trust. And at the same time, like maybe all it takes to be Eric Carlson's partner is don't get too far out of position and then take the puck and get the rock to Carlson. No, I think that's I, right. You know, I don't want to see Carlson play with just anybody. Like, I don't think he'd make a good pairing with Phaneuf, just given that Phaneuf is slower than a city bus at this point. Um, like, I think he'd be a better fit with Clayson. But at the same time, like, Eric Carlson is good enough that he made Philip Kuba look really good, too, right? And we said, oh, we don't know if we can lose Philip Kuba. And now we're replacing him with a guy who was a third-pairing defenseman on a bad Blue Jackets team. Uh, and five years later, we're like, we don't know if we can lose that guy, you know? Like, it's... I, I suspect that Eric Carlson kind of covers up a lot of faults uh, in his defensive partner. And so long as you can find somebody that's kind of complimentary, um, whether it's Philip Kuba or Mark Mathod or Freddie Clayson or faceless UFA defenseman that Pierre Dorian seems to indicate he's going to go out and get, uh, I'm sure they will find a way to make that work. But as you say, it sucks because he was probably the one example of the local boy that nobody begrudged being local. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I think I hope hopefully Jean Gabriel Peugeot is also at that level by this point. Oh, like, Peugeot's Peugeot's a great guy. I love him, and he's on. You know, he's certainly on close to that level. He's not quite at Mathot's level in terms of being a legend because, as far as I know, he does not have a contract with a no trade clause that indicates he will not play for any other Canadian team. That is hater of the year stuff right there. Yeah, that. I mean, we again, we watched Jean-Cabriel Fijot score a hat trick against Montreal. We watched him score four goals against the New York Rangers both times in the playoffs. And yet, Mark Mathot at the 11th hour, not even a senator anymore, and he still comes out of nowhere saying, I'm only playing for Ottawa, I'm not playing for any of your other garbage Canadian teams, and this is all I can give him right here. Just applause. <laughs> just, just the slow clap for Mark Mathot. Oh, <laughs> I love I, it. That's all I want to give him. I don't even care if it's a, um, like, if it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, it's Ottawa Uber Alice as far as Canadian teams are concerned, or that he's willing to play in his hometown just because he likes his mom's pot roast, but he otherwise hates the country that he lives in. Uh, I don't care if it's a sales tax thing because he's going to apparently save 900,000 US dollars a year playing in Las Vegas if he well, chooses that's, that's to stay a house, there. Not a big deal. <laughs> I don't care if it's because secretly he hates universal health care and he thinks that our children are being vaccinated as part of some kind of MK Ultra program. I do not care. Once I heard that he had a no trade of which six of the 10 teams were Canadian, I was very, very happy to hear that. I don't want to hear the rationale. I, I'm glad that whatever happens with Mark Mathot, we will not see him with a stupid flaming C or Orca C on his chest and that the next time we see him, he'll be wearing a cowboy hat or a sun visor or a weird Florida Panthers white golf shorts probably that's the mark method i'm looking forward to welcoming back to ottawa whenever that happens next year it's kind of beautiful in a way that you know ottawa never appreciated mark method more 
than when he was off the team <laughs> well, and seeing, refused to go anywhere else in Canada. I'm seeing a lot of people that are saying, you know what, just sit it out. Just wait till January 1st and then his rights come up and uh, somebody can trade him back to us at the deadline. You know, if we're contenders looking for another D-man, maybe they will. It could be a fun scenario if that is true. Although, can you imagine trading for Mark Mathot again? And him walking back into that locker room and taking a stall somewhere near Dion Phaneuf, who's probably going to have a look on his face like Trump when he met Obama right after the election. <laughs> like, can you imagine what a hero Mark Mathot is going to be in that situation? Dion Phaneuf is like, so uh, how was the Celine Dion show? <laughs> Uh, but seriously, the weather better here or better in Vegas? Which one? <laughs> I made the right choice, right? I, I, you can't blame me. You can't blame me. Yeah, uh, Mark, I love that picture of you with Penn and Teller on your Instagram. <laughs> it looks like a lot of fun down there. Uh, Sorry, see, you guys didn't win a single game. So there's been this weird, uh, or at least this interesting kind of vibe around the expansion draft, where it seemed like uh, you know Pierre Dorian didn't really want to lose Mark Mathot, but also. You know, couldn't really strike the deal he was looking to get. So, in the end, Pierre Dorian's like, look, you know, we were never really on the same page. You know, Vegas wanted, like, a first and some prospects, and we were never going to do that just to protect one asset. It's bad, but, you know, uh, we had to lose the guy, and it was Mark Mathot, and, you know, best of luck in, in future endeavors. And on one hand, I am very appreciative of Pierre Dorian for just ripping off the Band-Aid, not bowing into George McPhee's obscene demands for whatever the going rate was to protect a guy. On the other hand, whenever I hear him talk about how upset he is that we lost Mark for thought, I'm sitting here like, you know you could have exposed CeCe, right? <laughs> like, that was an option. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. Like, I know they did everything they could before the draft to try to break the logjam, and it sounded like if they were going to trade anybody, they were going to trade Phaneuf, which, again, I guess probably makes the most sense. But when they protected CC and exposed Mathot, we said, well, that makes sense because then when you trade CC, you can get stuff for him. And now, after the expansion draft, they're still trying to trade Phaneuf to a point where I don't know if they can bring him back because Pierre Dorian is like talking to literally every GM at the entry draft and then saying afterward, well, we're just getting a lot of calls on Dion. Obviously, we'd like to keep him. If they're still trying to trade Phaneuf after the logjam's been broken, that just tells you they're never trading Cody Cece. Like, Cody Cece is at a level of job security now as a defenseman in Ottawa that he can open up his own brew pub. He will be okay, I think. Yeah, he is at, like, sitting Alabama Republican senators level of job security at this point. <laughs> Just, like, the Charlie Rangel of the, the yeah. Ottawa defense. Like, you, you remember how for so many years we, we had the uh, the joke about trying to find the winger for Spezza, right? Uh, yeah. That's where we are with Cody Cece's defense partner now. Because we had said last year at this time, well, you know, Cece wasn't great, but he's going to play a full year with Phaneuf, and that'll be what will help his game along. And I think he's even worse now. So the problem... Problem clearly is Dion Phaneuf, right? We've got to find the right partner that can really, you know, bring out the magic in Cody Cece's game. It's tough. I think if they are trying to trade Phaneuf, again, I'm not 
super opposed to it. It would have been great if it happened before the goddamn expansion draft so that you could have kept Mark Mathot for all the trouble. But if they are trying to trade Phaneuf, we will not achieve the dream we've all been hoping of, of Cody Cece and Logan Brown and a third round pick for Gabriel Landeskog. It is weird that we even know that Phaneuf is being called on or shopped or whatever is going on because Pierre Dorian's run a pretty tight ship in his, you know, 13 months of, as GM. He's made deals that have kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, the Zabanajad deal was in no way prefaced by any sort of tweets from anyone. Same thing with the Burroughs trade. That seemed to come from out of nowhere. And yet, suddenly, Dion Phaneuf's name is everywhere. I'm trying to figure out if it's Pierre Dorian trying to do it or if it's Dion's agent. I don't understand what's happening here. It is It is um, a little bit odd, um, unless... Pierre Dorian is actually gaslighting everybody and he has no intention to trade Phaneuf, but he's hoping that if he makes it look like CC is not the defenseman that's available, that that will raise his value. I'd like to give Pierre Dorian that kind of credit, but at this point, if Cody CC is traded, I will eat my hat. It's Jared Cowan all over again. Although, to be fair, you know, this is Cody CC's last year of his bridge deal, and so he's going to be looking for some frankly preposterous amount of money in his next deal i think it's got to be four million dollars a year or something right so surely surely to god this will be the last year of cody cc and then he'll find himself on the patrick weirkosh express to you know some other team after he's not qualified but if you're gonna trade Um, him like now's the time to trade him right like he's at the point that zabanajad was last year a year away from another like rfa deal that they knew was going to be more expensive and so they traded him for the cost certainty of Derek broussard right like that's why i kind of figured that okay knowing that stone is coming up knowing that carlson is coming up anderson's coming up tourist is coming up the guy that we're going to move is cc who's a year away from rfa who's going to be looking for more money I mean, I guess the difference is CeCe doesn't have the performance that Zibanejad did, but at the same time, he can say, I played huge minutes in the playoffs because <laughs> apparently Guy Boucher loves me. So I expect he is going to be more expensive. And if you're going to trade him, it, it seems to make more sense to trade him now. But I don't think they're going to do it. Oh, um, my God. Is that is that why? I just had a horrible premonition. Is that why they're trying to trade Dion Phaneuf? Is they want to take the money they're going to save and give it to <laughs> Cody CeCe? <laughs> <laughs> that might be what it is. That might be what oh it is. Oh, my God. They might say, you know what? That Phaneuf CC pairing is a $7 million defenseman pairing. It's just the wrong one. <laughs> oh, man. That's like repelling out of the Hindenburg onto the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you remember? It, it? The quote that keeps coming back to me was CC when he was in his rookie year and he was called up really early, but he actually did okay right away. Like, he was actually kind of similar to Jared Cowan in that he had a decent rookie year and everybody was kind of like, where'd this guy come from? You know, he's our, you know, maybe our new defenseman of the future. And I remember Paul McLean at the time saying, yeah, I'm really surprised because when I saw him for the 67s, he was the worst player on the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's on your team. Uh, Sometimes I do miss Paul McLean. Not all the time, but some of the time. Not known for his diplomacy, though. (laughs) (laughs) But if you think about it right now, even having lost Mathot, they still have too many defensemen because Thomas Shabbat is coming. You've still got Carlson, Faneuf for now, CeCe, Weidman, Boro, Clayson, and, you know, Ben Harper, they've said, is basically ready to go, and he was playing and scoring more points in the playoffs than Cody CeCe did. Uh, So that's eight defensemen right there. You know, at some point, they're going to have to move somebody else out, and why not CeCe? Why not now? That's what I'm saying. 
what they need to do is basically make a bunch of splashy trades because to me this is like i think this is their time to go for it the window is sort of open probably closing they're gonna have white and shabbat on elcs next year they're gonna have carlson Turris, and stone still on like very affordable deals um like if you're gonna go for it like go for it now trade cody cc that's what i'm saying (laughs) every argument that i can make during this podcast will come back to trade cody cc it's the right thing to do for hockey reasons, team building reasons, my sanity reasons. <laughs> uh, it's really a move with no downsides. Exactly. Now, that all presumes that you can actually get a return for Cody CC, but let's ignore that. Uh, let, <laughs> facts don't matter here. That's fine. I have no idea how any GM evaluates any other player. Because you see like Jordan Eberle get traded for one of the Stroms. It doesn't matter which one. And you say, is that is that good? Couldn't we have done that? Couldn't we have given up? Who is our equivalent of of that guy? Is it Ryan Zingle? Because yeah. I would do Ryan Zingle for Jordan Epperle. Yeah, uh, I felt why, that can, way. Why can't we make this happen? Yeah, I felt that way about um, Hjalmarsson, right? Because that was they basically traded the Ryan Zingle of the Phoenix Coyotes, <laughs> which is a, a very backhanded compliment, I think, for that guy who doesn't even make a ton of money and would have like probably fit in perfectly with Carlson. So uh, if those guys are on the market, like yeah, you got to go get them. And it, it's really annoying because it just makes a failure to make a trade look like a failure to try. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, let me say this. Pierre Dorian told uh, everyone that he deserves an A-plus for effort today for trying to make a trade. Uh, So when you see the sun tomorrow, the headline will be, Dorian deserves awards, says Dorian. And then the sub-headline will be, (laughs) Dorian makes no trades. (laughs) I saw the picture that went up on the Ottawa Senators' official Twitter account, and, you know, the desk we had in Chicago... Had two phones, folks. Yep. One phone could not contain Pierre Dorian. He needed a second. Well, I noticed that picture had two phones where every other table only had one phone. And on the one hand, I was like, we are clearly the best connected team in this room. Cody CC, your days are numbered. Uh, on the other hand, I was like, maybe we get an extra phone because nobody has a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> or or we have we have something that doesn't get reception in the United Center and nobody can figure out how to put their phone on Wi-Fi to uh, at least use WhatsApp. Maybe that's what happened. So they gave us an extra landline. Eugene Melnick wasn't willing to shout out for the roaming charges for the weekend. So uh, you're going to need the landline. For yeah. That. If you need to make any deals, just yell. Uh, so let's move on then to what happened this past weekend. The NHL entry draft. Did you um, really kind of give a crap about this draft at all until maybe Friday and even then? Because for me, and it's not because they were picking 28th, because even the year that they didn't have a first round pick because of the Bobby Ryan trade, I was still like very excited to see who was the first guy on day two, which I think was Andreas Englund or something like that. In this case, like it's hard to get really excited about a bunch of kids that I've never heard of when we literally just spent the last several months leading up to an actual draft with actual NHL players who I actually know and like and have already played for my team. And after that, it's a little difficult to get excited about 18-year-old kids from Owen Sound. Yeah, um, I'm going to give you that. And more generally, I would say that I'm kind of over the NHL draft as an institution at this point because there is just so much ink spilled over what amounts to a professional future-telling contest. And it's just, 
Which team has the best psychics? In addition to that, there's also this group of amateur psychics that hangs out on Twitter and tells you, oh, like, the old psychics have, like, their way of doing things, but we have to sweep this away. Uh, it's all about the new psychic future-telling prediction, which involves computers and also a change in mindset. And so Ottawa senators come up at drafting 28th, and, you know, all of Twitter is just like, uh, you know, I think that the senator should really... Uh, reach for uh, Kobayashi Maru out of the Swiss League. Uh, he's probably the most purely skilled forward in the whole draft. Just got incredible hands. He can dangle in a phone booth for three hours. The minor problem with him, he's going to be overlooked by a lot of scouts because he happens to be only four foot three inches. But, you know, that's the uh, that's the NHL size bias coming into play, and you can't be afraid to reach for these guys who uh, can't even reach the pedals in their cars because they're so short. The thing about um, Maru, just sorry to interrupt, <laughs> is that once he gets back on D, he actually, you cannot beat him. He's impossible to get around. Uh, but what he's really telling is how you choose to approach him. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's coming up to the Ottawa Senators. We're picking 28th, made a great playoff run. And you're like, are the Ottawa Senators going to take Kobayashi Maru? And instead, you know, Ottawa takes Shane Bowers, which, you know, great name. Uh, <laughs> Shane Bowers <laughs> sounds like the name of a guy that was kind of a dick to me in high school. And I haven't <laughs> thought about him in many, many years. And then I found out, like, hey, he's doing all right. He owns a gas station. I was like, oh, good for <laughs> Shane Bowers, I guess. That's that's Shane Bowers to me. Yeah, Shane Bowers is the name of, like, a special agent in a Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> like, uh, uh, special special agent Shane Bowers yep. uh, had this to say. I'll be honest, all of the guys drafted by the Senators, and indeed by pretty much all the other teams as well, are all, like, 6'2", 170, like, tall, skinny kids. They all just look like sort of, you know, partially sentient trees to me. I can't tell any of them apart. Shane Bowers, Alex Formanton, Drake Batherson, Jordan Hollett. Uh, you could put those guys in a lineup, and I couldn't I couldn't tell you which was which. But you know who can is the psychics on Twitter, because, you know, Ottawa did not select Kobe Ashimaru, the, the tiny Swiss dynamo. They went for a, a player uh, in Shane Bowers whose first description is safe. <laughs> and uh, that immediately means bad. Yeah, in I saw in today's I, uh, in today's culture. I saw that the Shane Bowers is like maybe not quite the ceiling of Colin White, but the same kind of responsible two hundred foot center. You know, projects as like a third liner kind of guy, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's such a safe pick." But you know, he's a guaranteed NHL player, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, congratulations to the Ottawa Senators for selecting American Curtis Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> But he's not Curtis Lazar. He's Shane Bowers. <laughs> exactly. And, like, I hate the way that, like, Twitter has made me hate anything the Senators do now. Because it's like, no, why would I want the reliable pick when I could have a guy with who does one thing well with an obvious downside? Like, <laughs> well, if you like a guy who does one thing well with an obvious downside, then let me tell you the one thing I now know about Alex Formanton, who has a name that sounds like a West Quebec concrete company. Uh, <laughs> Alex Formanton is the fastest skater in the draft, according to those in the know, which is very exciting. 
And while they were playing uh, some of his highlights on Sportsnet this morning, I heard one of the commentators remark, and if his brains and his hands catch up to his legs, look out. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> ah, that's why he was taken in the second round, because he is a very fast player uh, who unfortunately does not have much in the way of brains or hands. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I saw a clip of him skating, and he literally looked like Super Mario running away from a Koopa, where his like legs are like outskating the rest of his body, and he starts leaning backwards. I'm like, damn, I hope you can make a pass, because yeah. you're going to be getting to all the loose pucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, if we look at a player like Mark Stone, who had, was blessed with just off-the-charts hockey IQ and the most soft, kissable hands in the entire world, he was able to work on his speed and get it up to a level where he can be a guy who is finishing in the top five or six in Selkie voting, right? If you give me a choice between speed or brains and hands, I will take the brains and hands. Thank you very much. Uh, and then tell him to hit the treadmill. Tell him to yeah. put the parachute on and start skating. Yeah. There is such a thing as, you know, power skating that you can work on. I've never heard of, like, a power hands uh, <laughs> training regimen. Yeah. Uh, I would love to send a lot of the uh, a lot of these guys to power brains uh, and see how that works out. <laughs> the weirdest part about this draft was uh, how I was sure the senators were going to take a goalie early on. And instead, they just started taking, like, name generation guys at a <laughs> NHL 17. And, you know, you thought Alex Formanton had a, like, white bread name. Like, let me tell you about Drake Batherson. Drake Batherson. Let me tell you about Drake Batherson. He and I <laughs> used to row crew at Princeton in the 1930s. And he's a uh, he's a heck of a chap. Drake uh, Batherson. Yeah, Drake Batherson holds the record for most wickets taken <laughs> by a West Indies left-handed bowler actually in cricket. Uh, Drake Batherson sounds like he inherited all his money from his grandfather's monocle factory. <laughs> but he is apparently uh, friends with, get ready for it, Shane Bowers. Oh, well, that's just fantastic. So there you go. Bowers and Batherson. That's like already that's like a drama with two women detectives on the USA Network. Bowers and Batherson. Bowers and Batherson was the name of like the law firm that uh, Scrooge worked at before he became evil, I think. Um, <laughs> we can agree that between Bowers and Batherson, Bowers is street smart, right? Whereas, yeah. <laughs> whereas Batherson is the one whose dad provides all the money for them to buy equipment. Charles Dickens ass prospects. <laughs> uh, Drake Batherson is glad that he's signed his. Uh, he wants to sign his entry level contract as soon as possible so he can get his father out of debtor's prison. <laughs> uh, anyway, best of luck to the Ottawa Senators drafted at this year's NHL entry draft. I hope you don't suck. That's, that's, that's my take on all prospects. Yeah. I can't see the future, and not only that, I don't want to pretend like I can, so I'm just like, Drake Batherson, hope you don't suck. There you go. And then sixth round goalie Jordan Hollett, see you maybe someday. Exactly. I mean, you've only got to outplay Marcus Hogberg, Chris Dreger, and... Is that it? Is that is that the goalie prospect system right now? We are looking thin at goalie. That's, Holy smoke. that's pretty much it because Matt O'Connor, uh, unfortunately, has not been uh, not been retained. Yeah, he's got that degree from Boston College. He'll land on his feet, <laughs> which is something he couldn't do when he was playing goalie. Shazam! <laughs> it's weird to think back on that because I think Ottawa 
as a fan base, got a little too invested in the Matt O'Connor sweepstakes. Uh, he did sign with the organization. He didn't really develop as a goalie so much as wilt. <laughs> and now like everyone's kind of you know looking down at their shoes and being like, yeah, I, I never really expected much. Well, it's I have fine. to give like, it was it was a lottery ticket. He was a lottery ticket. If he works out great, but you know you, these four, these these overage goalies they're they're hard to they're hard to project, and you know sometimes they don't work out. So I have to do. give Dave Cameron credit though for his decision to start Matt O'Connor in the home opener last year, because it's very rare that you see a coaching move that destroys two careers at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And then the problem with the draft is you get even later in the draft. And so you go from like wanting to draft these, you know, high risk, high reward guys to like drafting these even greater risk guys <laughs> where it's like, oh, I think Ottawa needs to select Kaiser Soze out of the Mexican high school hockey league, Mexican high school league, not the best competition, but Kaiser Soze did put up 731 points in 14 games. So he might be worth a look. And then it turns out we just select a goalie and you're like, no, go for the guy who's never played against people from Canada before. But pretty what much once, doing? once you get out of the first round and certainly as you get down into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, like the picks start going pretty, quickly and the reason why is because nobody is sitting there doing complex analysis to see you know given all the players left on the board and once we you know use our equivalency formulas to convert scoring in this league to scoring in that league and then adjust for the fact that this guy is 17 days older than this other guy they're not doing any of that right because they don't know who all these players are all they've scouted who they've scouted they have a list of players they like if one of them is still available and if looking at the scouting rankings it's not so far Far off where they're expected to go that all their fans are going to call them idiots that's the player they're going to take so they're not looking at like all the players that are left as much as they're saying oh that guy chad wilkinson we want is still here just go get him right now yeah. he's ours anyway good luck to all 18 year old boys on the events of the last two days and we hope that your trip to chicago to have your rights allocated to a group of men around a bunch of tables bargaining for you like the chattel that you are uh went as well as you could have hoped so i think it's important that after all we've seen this year we recognize the contributions of an extremely important hockey player i think that there can be no question in anyone's mind that uh this particular player is the best defenseman in the NHL, and anyone who says otherwise has just not been paying attention. Uh, so allow me to be the first to give a warm hand and acknowledgement towards his beardiness, Brent Burns, ladies and gentlemen. Brent Burns, yeah, <laughs> best best defenseman in the league. He he Brent also Burns. looked a little bit embarrassed when he accepted that award, didn't he? You know, with Eric Carlson in the front row with his foot in a cast staring right at him and uh, him having to say, uh, Eric, you know, you got, had a great playoffs uh, and, you know, you're a fantastic defenseman. Like, he also had the sort of Trump after he'd been elected look on his, uh, on his face uh, looking at Carlson accepting that award. Everybody kind of assumed it was going to be 
Brent Burns, right? Because these all of these awards are about narrative and who's due and all of that, right? And so I wasn't too upset that Carlson lost just because that's kind of what I expected and the voting was done before the playoffs and all of that. Uh, but I would like to congratulate Eric Carlson on finally being due <laughs> for to win uh, a Norris, and I'd like to congratulate him on his 2018 Norris Trophy. First of all, you know Victor Hedman's getting the <laughs> getting the campaign next year. Second of all, even though I kind of knew cognitively that Eric Carlson was likely only at best a 50-50 shot for Norris this year, I still got like irrationally upset when Brent Burns won because that entire playoffs was. The moment where no one could dispute the fact that Eric Carlson is one of the best players in the league and the best defenseman in hockey. So for Brent Burns to win the award for the best defenseman in hockey just felt like an invalidation <clears throat> of the previous six weeks. Right. And so I reacted very, uh, very harshly towards that event and may have said some things that uh, I should not have. But again, the voting was done before the playoffs, and that's why Carlson will win the award next year. Uh, unless Victor Hedman is in fact due, uh, because this is a, the Norris is one of the everybody gets a trophy awards. Yeah, like you can't just keep on giving the best defenseman award to the best defenseman. That's insane. Yeah. No, like, Eric Carlson. Where are you from, Chet? Eric Carlson <laughs> is going to retire with five Norris trophies when he probably should have won nine. And that's fine. Like this is when you truly are the best at your position, the voters will always either require you to do more to win it again or look for reasons not to vote for you. It's at the end of the day, as I've said a million times before, we still get Eric Carlson, right? So I hope he wins more trophies, but I will take the labor that does or doesn't win them before I worry about the trophies themselves. For some reason, the sports media has looked at Eric Carlson and been like, no, two's enough. Um, and I, <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> like, if Eric Carlson was on like his fifth Norris, as he should be, he's not because of Matt Cook, Drew Doughty, and Brent Burns, respectively. But if he already had five, I think I'd be a little less salty. But at this point, I'm still waiting for him to get all the Norrises he deserves before he stops <laughs> getting them well, and so i'm still pretty tight about it no like i mean eric carlson is going to be still you know norris quality like well into his 30s so we've got a we've got a long way to go with this getting snubbed for the norris conversation so you know get some fluids take your time uh because we're going to be uh it's going to be a long journey put it that way it's still very frustrating. Well, but at the very least, it makes it obvious that no one watches Ottawa because Eric Carlson just did the things he usually does. Only this time, the NHL media had no choice but to watch him. And then they went, oh, Eric Carlson, quite good. If it does make you feel better, though, I mean, one good news story coming out of the awards, obviously, was the Masterton Trophy, which is, you know, awarded for perseverance and courage and resilience in the face of uh, adversity and all of that. And I can think of no greater recipient to give that to this year than uh, Nicole Anderson. Uh, so I'm very glad that she won the Masterton Trophy, you know, with her husband in attendance uh, on Wednesday night. That was the one award given out that no one had anything bad to say about in terms of how the voting went. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really know how you how you rank that one or not. But suffice it to say, it was a uh, uh, good for her, good for them. It's not always the trophy that you want to win, but uh, there you go. How how many more of these podcasts do we have to do until we get to host the NHL awards? Do you think? <laughs> well, let me answer your question with a question, which is how many installments of Magic Mike have you been in? <laughs> But I will um, say you do have a magic mic every time you're on this podcast. How about that? 
hey <laughs> Yeah, I like it. My, oh. I, I reckon that we're going to be on the NHL Awards about 17 years after Steve Dangle is. <laughs> so by that, if I do the math on that correctly, it means we should be showing up roughly 2032. Yeah, that sounds about right. And my references will not have changed. <laughs> Uh, Steely Dan in the news again. We've seen this. We've heard about this. Uh, now let's look at some bad photoshops. All right. And I guess to close out the podcast, we should probably tip our hats, uh, you know, to the news recently that uh, a longtime senator, you know, may not be done in the league, but certainly looks like things uh, may be done for him. This could be the end of a career. Uh, and if that is the case, uh, I just wanted to, at the, at the end of this podcast, salute uh, Marion Hosa on his uh, long and distinguished career, uh, including his time with the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, uh, we thought we might be able to bring Hosa back as a form of cap relief, but it seems that he's going through some uh, medical problems. So I just want to say best of luck to truly a fan favorite and there's not a day that goes by when i'm in ottawa that i don't see a marion hosa jersey yeah no he uh he you know i think as as time goes on we'll see him more and more as a as a franchise legend and i hope one day to maybe even see his uh his number in the senator's ring of honor i remember what a dynamic player he was and it's a shame that we didn't get kind of a Marion Hosa reunion tour because, again, how many times would you know Marion Hosa carry the puck in, score a big goal, and then you know, do his famous raise the roof celebration? Right. Well, um, and I mean, he would. What I loved about when he would carry the puck in, or you know, when he would basically enter the offensive zone in, in general, was that he always knew where to be. He was always on side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something yes. I really appreciated about him. And also, I mean, you know, we can look back on it now and, and see that he did have success with other teams. But um, uh, I think one of the reasons that we'll, uh, we'll love him for his time in Ottawa is the fact that he didn't hang around too long. Yes, that's right. Uh, if anything, he was gone too soon. Right. Uh, from, from Ottawa. But at the same time, I'm sure that, you know, there's reasons for him to come back. And, you know, Ottawa is a great community to invest in. So if he wants to kind of start a restaurant or, dare I say, a brew pub in the area, then I think that the Ottawa community will be uh, very willing to go to such uh, establishment. It could use some competition, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm just going to spitball here, but I'm thinking that if Marion Hosa opened such a establishment, maybe in Canada, we could call it a Central Brew Hoss. <laughs> uh, uh, that sounds good. I think that would be great. Um, he could come back. He could start doing uh, spots for Mr. Lube, uh, and it would be. Uh, I think that would be the right fit for him as a senator's legend. Yeah, and, you know, Marion Hosa doing his commercials for Mr. Lube doesn't... He wouldn't really need, even need to say anything. He would just have to flash that famous smile, and I know that would get me down there for a fast oil change. <laughs> That's all it takes sometimes. Anyway, uh, again, just huge shout-out um, and, you know, many respects to Ottawa Senators legend Marion Hosa. There you go. Oh, and also Chris Newell is gone. So, folks, as always... May the system be with you, and have a good summer. Take care of yourselves and water ski carefully. And uh, don't give uh, don't don't give your boy. Uh, oh God, I can't even remember the goddamn names. Who who, who did we draft? <laughs> Shane Bowers. Oh yeah, there we go. Drake We're Batherson. Yeah, there we go. Don't give Drake Batherson too hard a time. He's uh, doing the best he can. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, in the, in the height of the August heat, if you're, you know, downtown on the hot pavement and you see a man in a three piece wool suit, full waistcoat, pocket watch, bowler, carrying an umbrella, just completely out of step with fashion trends and certainly with what would be logical to wear in hot weather. Don't say anything to that man. Just let him go on his way. It's probably Drake Batherson. All right, folks. Good system and see you soon. See you later. For a couple of fellers who both still live with their moms Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on No other podcast was finer Or was more of a hit with the big rig diners We never thought they'd make it past episode 5 Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Paris are alive Whoa, whoa, whoa has, um, has Montreal had an outdoor game? Well, I thought they went to Boston. I thought they played it like at Foxborough. Okay, no, because I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering if, if Montreal fans would be less inclined to travel to Ottawa if they had had a game in Montreal already. They had to like put the torch on the metro for like 45 minutes <laughs> to get it all the way out to the McGill Stadium. You know that if they did that, that like getting the torch from the Bell Center to McGill would be longer than the actual Olympic torch relay. Like, it would start nine months before the game.